now this is recording. RTI International Center for Forensic Science presents Just Science. Hello and welcome to Just Science, a podcast for forensic science professionals and anyone who is interested in learning more about how real crime laboratories work. I'm Lauren Mangum, your host for National Forensic Science Week. In this episode, you will be hearing from Molly Dix as she discusses the valuable resources she brings to the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence. Welcome, Molly. Hi, Lauren. Thank you. Your uh, job is a little bit different at RTI than majority of the people who are going to be on the podcast this week because you are not actually in the Center of Forensic Sciences. So what is your job title at RTI International? I am a director within our Innovation Advisors Group. And what is the Innovation Advisors Group for listeners? So the Innovation Advisors Group is effectively a consulting group within RTI. We've been around for more than 50 years, and ultimately we grew up doing technology transfer for NASA. So our original goal was to help take research that was funded by U.S. taxpayers, and under the Space Act Agreement that was the formation of NASA, NASA was tasked with finding secondary uses for that investment. So our group helped NASA to find uses on Earth for technology that was developed for space. So flash forward 50 years, we functionally sit at the intersection of application and research, or in some cases, technology and business. You know, our job is to really translate or transition research out of labs, out of people's heads, out of patents, into actual use by real practitioners and companies and universities and government agencies. Wow, that's, a, that's actually a pretty amazing group that we have here. So let's talk a little bit about your background first before we get really uh, into the weeds about how that helps the FTCOE. So you got your bachelor's degree at the University of Rochester, and then you also have a master's degree. Do you mind discussing a little bit of your educational background? Sure. So I'm a mechanical engineer by training and have an advanced degree in intellectual property management. I have what's called a master's in IP, which is the equivalent of an LLM, which is a master's of law if you're a lawyer. But if you're not a lawyer, you don't get the LLM, you get the MIP. So functionally, I went to law with a bunch of lawyers and studied about intellectual property as it is critical, typically, in the transition and translation phases for tech transfer. So your engineering background, did that help you decide that you wanted to go into intellectual property? Or how did you jump from mechanical engineering to wanting to get your master's in intellectual property? So it was really my work at RTI. So coming out of undergrad, I actually started as an energy engineer where I helped utilities look at loading within their commercial and industrial applications. And utilities want to avoid building new power plants. So they have something called demand side management. And as a consulting engineer, I would go and look at paper mills and other kinds of facilities and say, okay, how can we take power off the grid with more efficient technologies, motors, motor control centers, lighting, so forth. And from that, you know, I I liked consulting. I liked looking at problems and challenges for a client and then going out into the field and, and trying to solve that. I transitioned to RTI, like I mentioned, um, doing tech transfer for NASA, and the skills are similar, and I think it all translates into, I I think one of my passions, actually, in preparing for this interview and thinking about my path is, it's about efficiency of investment. So in my original job, it was, okay, how how do you keep facilities from wasting energy? It takes investment to do that. You have to put new equipment in and redesign things. And it's similar in tech transfer that there's already been an investment in research 
originally by NASA. We're going to talk about the FTCOE. Obviously, NIJ is funding research for forensic benefits. And it's the efficiency and the desire to enable that investment to have impact. And I think that's kind of the theme when I think about how do I get from mechanical engineering, energy engineering into what I do today. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing, actually. So let's go ahead and let's talk about the FTCOE a little bit. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been with the FTCOE since the beginning, since we first won the award in 2011? Yes. And in fact, that's actually how I, if you could say, I got into forensics. I got into forensics because unlike the rest of the FTCOE where we have you know, people with PhDs and great depth of forensics experience. Our group, the Innovation Advisors, the, uh, were part of the original proposal. The folks who were putting that bid together at RTI, um, Jerry Repera Miller being one of them, recognized that RTI had the forensic capacity and the tech transfer expertise. And really, it was the marriage of the two parts that made us perfect for executing. On our side, we have the basic science, engineering, life sciences backgrounds, but not forensics per se. So our folks can understand new technologies like, you know, alternate light sources or devices, the materials behind how things function, you know, Raman spec, all of those things. We get that. We have the engineers and scientists, but we aren't forensic specialists. So the CFS folks, obviously, that's their world. And I think it's a really great example of how RTI brought two disparate groups together. And now over the last how many years, you know, we function very well as a team, even though we're different. Right. It really is like a marriage because your group helps with tech transition, but you also help with many other things such as reports, landscapes. I mean, you are integrated in our daily lives at the FTCOE. It's taken our folks time to really understand the language of forensics and to become more efficient partners. And I think we've brought the understanding of how technology moves from researcher to application and how you can educate researchers about that path to help them help themselves and so forth. So kind of teaching each other our various languages. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about some of the deliverables your group has helped with in the past couple of years, but you also are very integrated in uh, the NIJ database that we have full of all the awards. Do you mind discussing a little bit about what that means for listeners? When we first thought about this task we were given when we were awarded the FTCOE, in reality, NIJ has invested in a portfolio of researchers of research. And our job, you know, from the very beginning was to think about that portfolio and consider where might we apply energy and investment to have the greatest impact towards better operation within labs, crime scenes, and so forth. So the database really was originally a capture device so we could get our arms and our minds around what had been funded. Now, obviously, it's an ongoing tool where every year new cases get loaded every year. And it, it's almost like a platform for communication in a lot of ways. From our side, in terms of tech transition, we still use it to periodically review cases to understand how we might bring active support. And so we run a process where we do what's called a triage, which is where we really quickly look at cases. And it's called triage because it's named after what happens in an emergency scenario where you tag, you functionally tag people to say, okay, this person needs immediate care. This person's actually beyond care. This one can wait. 
and it's similar with the cases that you know a researcher might be in discussions with a company and they need help because they're not equipped to think about licensing their technology. They don't have that background experience. Maybe they don't have a tech transfer office at their organization. So we would say, okay, we need to help them immediately. Others, maybe they need to understand who they might partner with, how they might prove out their technology to move it forward. So that maybe could wait a little while. In some cases, maybe have been published widely or they've already, you know, are in use. If it's a software and that, you know, we might say, okay, they're good, they don't need help. So we run a triage. Sometimes in triage, certain questions come up. We will dive deeper to do analysis and research around those questions to help them consider the path. And ultimately, you know, we move towards support in helping these researchers have a greater impact. It's actually a benefit for researchers to uh, participate in the database because all the information that is compiled within this database is used year after year by the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence to actually aid research. They're great because that's once a year researchers can say, hey, by the way, I'm facing this issue. And the FTCOE has connections and resources to help move things forward. So I do, I agree. I think it's it's a great opportunity for the researchers to connect to the FTCOE and share the good work they're doing, the help they need. Yeah, it's definitely a, a positive thing to uh to be a part of. That's a great overview, Molly, of kind of what IA helps CFS do. And we're all kind of one big family here. We all try to help each other out. So is there anything else that you feel like listeners should know about uh, your group in particular? I think really just that we, we spend a lot of time thinking about technologies, thinking about how to move them forward. And one of the things that I'd love to share, because I, it was one of those moments that was a lot of fun, you know, we've talked about the database and supporting cases as active support, but the other thing we do is we try to support key topics that CFS identifies, that other partners in the FTCOE identify and do do what we call landscape reports. And these are really parallel to what we do for other clients in other directions, where you really think about either the state of the art, so for researchers, what technologies are coming you know, maybe it's a new miniaturization of something that's going to enable it to go into the field. You know, what's coming that could make their future goals as researchers come to life? Or, you know, what's actually hit the shelf, we'd call it state of the shelf, that they can buy and integrate or leverage to make their research come to life. So we do these landscape reports. And I was at a meeting with pretty good variety of stakeholders in the forensics community from various agencies and so forth. And I overheard somebody saying to somebody at NIJ how valuable one of the landscape reports had been because it helped them make procurement decisions. And it was, it was just a really valuable tool for them to be efficient and effective in how they made those decisions. And it was for a government agency to buy a tool that they were going to put into the field. And so for me, I think that was just really satisfying to hear that somebody found it, this report on the web, not knowing it was out there. They just had done a search, found it on the FTCOE website, and found that report really useful. There's actually many, many landscape reports. There's in briefs. There's all kinds of things that are out there that listeners can can go to our website. And if you're out there and you're looking for something or you feel like we got a gap in some of our uh, literature, please feel free to reach out to us. We always have our ear to the ground. We're always prepared to hear from the community. To add to that, I would love to put the call, if you're reading a report and you think, huh, that's behind, 
you know, here's an update, here's something that's now on the market, please share it because we are periodically doing updates to those reports and the community feeding us what they think is valuable so that others can benefit from that update is really greatly appreciated. Yeah, you're right. We do appreciate any help that the community can give us on that. So let's get to know you. What is the most interesting thing you have seen or done at RTI International? Something that I find really interesting and fairly recent is work that we've been doing related to global innovation ecosystems. And I think it really matters as a thought process for all researchers because the world is shrinking. So I know innovation ecosystem is becoming one of those buzzwords, but it's it's a buzzword because it's a real thing. Researchers put their head down and solve a problem that they see without looking at how others are solving it or what emerging technologies might influence a different path to solution, you know, really aren't doing great research. And so one of the things that I've been involved in recently is some global efforts. And one was in Saudi Arabia and the other was in the Philippines. Those are two very different countries. But for me, they were really rewarding. The work that we were doing in Saudi Arabia was about how to leverage technology that had been developed for oil industry. And in doing that, we were also looking at how to enable women to be more involved in research because women are educated typically to be teachers or in the healthcare area, so not really researchers. And so we were involved in helping look at setting up research capabilities and facilities that actually would enable women to become researchers. And so obviously that felt really satisfying. In a parallel, more recent effort, we're doing work in the Philippines. And in the Philippines, it's more about economic development. And we've been helping to set up technology transfer and innovation functions, capabilities, training, and so forth, really within their universities to make that link between university research that could be better connected to real-world applications and companies and needs, could be forensic science, and how to teach people to think that way and to set up the systems, including intellectual property, to make those things actually come to bear, which ultimately can drive the economy, which is much needed. So same topic as, you know, FTCOE, but a different aim where it's research to impact, one for improvement in the lives of women and the other improvement in the lives of of a country that could benefit from greater economic prosperity. Wow, those those are truly some amazing examples that you give there. And that's one of the beautiful things about working at RTI is you're never struggling to align with the mission. You know, it's all about improving uh, the human condition and by turning knowledge into practice, which is a beautiful thing in and of itself to kind of help the world, and you're never fearful of whatever your mission is going to be at RTI. Absolutely. Tell us one interesting fact about yourself. I have a passion for soccer as a sport and as a platform for helping within my community. So I grew up playing soccer, probably ahead of most Americans. I grew up um, as an Army brat with a time spent in Northern Virginia, and so started playing really young. Is this pre-Mia Hamm? Pre-Mia Hamm, yes, I am older than Mia Hamm. So I had the fortunate experience of going to the University of Rochester. We were a very talented team um, early on in, in U.S. women's soccer, and ultimately we won the first two national titles 
for Division three, second and third year in college. So I, you know, that was a great experience. And so I've stayed really involved. I am very involved in our community here. And I just, I feel like sports give kids the chance to, you know, find something that you can do for the rest of your life that keeps you healthy, that I feel like in the current society, you know, letting kids compete in a healthy way is really good because there's a lot of boundaries around how kids interact nowadays. And I think they aren't always given the opportunity to learn some of the lessons maybe we were allowed to learn in a more rough and tumble upbringing. Right. Sports gives that. Um, And so I spend a lot of my time away from work involved in, uh, in soccer and I, I feel really good about it and still play and unfortunately still get hurt sometimes because I'm old now, but, um, (laughs) but it's, it's a great game. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually a soccer nerd as well. So I can, I can respect that as a, as an interest. Since you obviously are very fulfilled by the job that you do now, is there a certain hobby or thing that you've always kind of wanted to try, but you just never, never had a chance to just do it? You know, I'm an engineer by training. I'm kind of practical. I'm uh-huh. thinking that it would be something where, you know, I take my engineering background and go to very much a developing world situation and and try to help at a much simpler level and I, I'll use the example of you know when people go into the Peace Corps or help that way that they often are bringing technologies like irrigation or pumping or other kinds of technologies to very rural environments but then you hear that the supply chain for the, the parts for the service isn't there so it really isn't an investment that has a long-term impact I would love to in the future go and help make those efforts have greater impact by trying to set up the business processes, supply chain, and so forth, so that they have longer-term impact. Okay, yeah. Which, I mean, that kind of aligns, you know, with some of the things that you've at least been trying to do in your life already, so that makes sense. Probably a little more grassroots, a little less high-tech, a little more low-tech. That's all the time that we have for today. If you are listening, please subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on episodes. I'd like to thank you, Molly Dix, for being on Just Science. Thank you, and uh, good luck in your soccer. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding.